Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, where we try not to rate what we watched this week while talking full spoilers. There's a bit of a competition here where we try not to earn points in the This Film Not Rated gauntlet. Try try to get out alive, and at the end of the season, the person with the fewest points wins. In fact, if you get out with no points, you'll be marked on the This Film Not Rated Hall of Fame as someone who has accomplished the near impossible, being objective about a movie. The real reason we're here, Curtis, is, uh, hey, what did you watch this week? Uh, a lot. Just just a lot of... of Rattle them off. Tell me what you watch. Oh, God. Uh, Ratcatcher, some more Zadoichi, Still Walking, uh, Ghost Dog, Phoenix, which I don't think we're going to talk about until you've watched it. Um, yep. I want absolutely no knowledge of even a hint of a reaction of Phoenix until I watch it. That's Phoenix from the Criterion Collection. Nothing to do with X-Men folks. Oh, Rushmore. I watched Rushmore, uh, uh, Wes Anderson's sophomore film. And I also watched X in theaters today, that, that new A24 uh, horror Oh, did film. you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I think we should maybe talk about that, a new movie. So pick one and pick X. You'll have to go through the gauntlet with X. Uh, that's fine. Um, kind of want to talk about Rushmore, if I'm being honest. So yeah, Rushmore. you're a pretty big Wes Anderson fan. So I, I kind of yep. figured. And you've got a, a review for Ratcatcher and Brief up on TikTok. If people don't know, Curtis is up there. You oh. can follow him now. Yeah, uh, you can follow me at Merrick on Film and Anime. I think there are some dots in there, but you know. What, but uh, what about you? What did you watch this week? So I watched the two movies. I'm going to go straight for the two movies that I wanted to watch. Because I think this week I watched, I went on this little kick of knocking out, you know, my New Year's resolution for this year was to uh, take out a bunch of movies on my two watch lists so that I can kick into high gear, strive to be a, a certified film critic and start taking on movies as they come, like new ones. And so one of the things was a string of DC animated film releases. So I've now seen Batman Gotham by Gaslight, Constantine's Constantine City of Demons, Batman Ninja, Batman Hush. And then I had to take a break. I want to watch Batman Assault on Arkham, which is essentially the Suicide Squad movie that came out at the same time as the live action one and is like wildly better reviewed. Mm -hmm. But um, I am so glad I took a break because I, I flung myself. It's like I prepped my brain to be so into this one mood and mindset. Yeah. And I went flying into Midnight in Paris. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and do the shake the curse off of me motions, turn around and spit for Woody Allen. Um, if you don't know the Woody Allen controversy uh, in brief, he's accused by his adoptive daughter, Dylan Farrow. Then at age seven, having been sexually molested by Woody Allen and he has repeatedly denied the allegations. It's an up in the air kind of thing. It's, it's a thing where multiple actors that came out, wouldn't have wanted to support some of his movies in the middle of all this kind of stuff because it's it's harrowing to talk about victims and all this kind of stuff. And but and and to be honest, the reason I bring this up is because the most like perfectly sniper aimed criticism of Midnight in Paris is that it's basically just Woody Allen in an escapist fantasy for himself. So it's very much like, you know, what if Woody Allen got to meet all of his idols and three women fell in love with him? That's a letterbox review that I saw for it. 
Um, and then the other movie I watched, far into that spectrum, is Raw. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so it's a French movie about a girl who's been raised vegetarian mm-hmm. for a very important reason. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right. So, um, so I want to talk about Midnight in Paris first. All right, so let's just go ahead and jump right into Midnight in Paris then. So I want to step outside of this for a second because I really hope that people, if you're going to watch it, it's on Netflix. You know, like, honestly, just personally, I can't in good conscience recommend people go see it because as a part of who I am, I just believe in in a time period where people are suffering so much from people not believing them. I also saw the last duel this week and it's an absolute shame how that is a weirdly detailed account of a true story that happened. And the fact that there is so much of that, that still exists in people's minds today, whether it happened or not, I just have to believe of victims. That's, that's an important thing for me societally. So I'm not going to say people need to go watch Midnight in Paris, okay? What I am going to say is there's a really heartfelt message in this. And what drove me to watch it, by the way, was just to escape the constant animated action violence. And I had started watching it a while ago and just fell in love with all the minute performances, a bunch of sort of like one-dimensional staples of icons of history, so, you know, the, the story of this is uh, Owen Wilson every night at midnight when he's out with his fiance and her family in Paris gets picked up by a car and he's in the past all of a sudden and is meeting his writing idols. He meets Ernest Hemingway. He meets uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Zelda. He meets uh, Salvador Dali. He meets uh, Picasso. He meets uh, and then he meets. uh Cartier, Marion Cartier, what Tali Al Ghul, what's her name? Oh, uh, oh God, uh, Marion Cartier, right? Cotiller is, I think, how I I think that's how I pronounce it. It's French, I know you can't say Cotiller, that's given too much credit to the letters that they use. (laughs) I wouldn't be surprised if it was Qua, okay? Um, not no shade on Marion Cartier, but anyways, I've heard Cotier, so I'm gonna go with Cotier. Okay. Anyways, she plays Adriana, a woman who reportedly had an affair with Pablo Picasso. I don't know. The whole idea is that Owen Wilson is this modern day writer who steps out of time into the time of his dreams, where he thinks it's the golden age of thinking and literature and writing. And the whole point, I'm just going to spoil it, is... When they step further back in time, you find out she has her idea of a golden age of culture and literature and art. And the whole idea is the present is always gray and black and murky. And we never see what comes out of our time until we see what survives in the past. Right. So it's sort of like an idea similar to Last Night in Soho but a wildly different take. And remember when I reviewed last night, and so I talked about it being a concept that really strikes more of an inspiration of different takes on that premise. Yeah. And this is a much more like, like safe, lighthearted version of that. Mm. And it is very much just like, Oh, a, a neurotic writer 
happens to have like a fiance and meets uh, a woman played by Leah Sedu uh, from Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol and blue is the warmest color. Right. Uh, she falls in love with them in, in the modern day. And Marianne Cotillard is like, Cotier, sorry, is uh, mm-hmm. falling in love with him in the past. And just like every, everybody loves this guy because, you know, whatever, except for the his fiance's parents or whatever. So, um, you know, he's just he's just going around and he like meets her in the past. And then in present day, he goes to a museum and they find her journal and she's written about him in her journal. So it's like you find out there's actual consequences to what he's done. Uh-huh. But then he consciously makes the decision to leave the past in the past and ends up with Leah Sado in the future. But he leaves his current life behind because he basically realizes like. He just, the things in present life just aren't inspiring passion in him and all this kind of like privilege kind of stuff. But the music and the tone and everything, I mean, it's invoked basically by the poster. If you just look like, look at the poster, you know what you're going to get. But what you don't know you're going to get is an absolutely spectacular cast. Adam Brody, Tom Hiddleston, Michael Sheen, Kathy Bates, Rachel McAdams, like I said before, Marianne Cotillard, and Owen Wilson taking it surprisingly seriously. So, and then, um, oh, Yellow Jacket from the MCU plays Ernest Hemingway, Corey Stoll, and he's spectacular. Okay, so maybe uh, him playing Yellow Jacket and and, and Ant-Man was just like a a, a directing issue because I couldn't take him in that film. A a writing, I think, more issue, but yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Um, Like, he delivers one of my favorite lines in a movie that I've heard in a very long time, and it's about writing. And of course, it's something we as complete geeks aspire to. And it's just like no story is bad if the prose is clean and true and it aspires to courage and grace in the face of, I don't remember, and just in the face of adversity. You know, and that's a terrible way to deliver that line. And again, I guess if you end up watching it, you end up watching it. But it's the idea of art that inspires an artist that makes them create art that inspires an artist over time and embracing something fundamental about how art inspires life, inspires art, inspires life. And it's very self-serving and it's very narcissistic but all of Woody Allen's stuff in a way kind of is, and he kind of doesn't care. And that's kind of never been a problem. Um, It's just, I mean, it's charming. And in a way that makes me kind of feel sick because I don't like being charmed by someone that I know could potentially be a manipulator like that. Um, I just, I just can't speak enough. We talked about last episode of people just accepting responsibility for things. If that's the case, like if you're sitting out there and you just, are just too scared to face the consequences of what it is, then that's the rest of your life until you die. I think that's something that people maybe don't consider. People who think like, oh, you're going to face your comeuppance after you die. Well, honestly, how's the rest of your life going to feel trying to bury something like this? And then that's it for you. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's It's just, it's so frustrating to have these things intermingle, but the music I've been listening to it, just walking around my neighborhood and it makes me feel so grounded in that piece. And so struck 
mentally with ideas and and just feeling creative and not they're not even in line with what it is that I watch. It just feels like let your brain go. And so that's why I would go back to watch it again is if all this crap gets cleared up or he stops getting, you know, royalties or benefits from its sale, I would purchase the crap out of this and it would be one of my favorite movies. Like it it would just be so nice to escape with that person. Kind of like the before trilogy. You're escaping with people. Yeah. It's kind of like that. And it just, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Anyways. Well. Have you seen it? Uh, the, this Woody Allen movie? No. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've, I've never seen a Woody Allen movie. Even ah. one that, uh, the, the, except for Ants. I've, I, I've seen Ants when, because I, I guess he played one of the, the, the roles in, in Ants, but I've never seen a movie that he directed. If that's the closest I've, I've come to a Woody Allen movie. Oh yeah, it was just he was just the lead in it. It was directed by Tim Johnson and Eric Darnell. <laughs> yeah, it was just Woody Allen's lead of ants because they're trying to compete with what they saw Pixar was gonna do after Toy Story. Um, I'm so glad they made Shrek. You know, could have been awful. They could have yeah. been DC to Marvel. Yeah, that's right. I put that opinion out there into the internet. <laughs> Come at me. I love yeah. the Batman. Anyways, let's talk about let's talk about you. Let's talk about. Uh, Rushmore? Rushmore. I, I think it's kind of funny that, that you mentioned like like Owen Wilson being in in uh oh yeah he's a he's a, a regular of Woody Allen. Well or he, no, he's a regular of uh Wes Anderson. Yeah, well he might he's not in this movie, but his his brother uh Luke uh, Wilson. He is, but Owen Wilson oh oh uh, but uh Owen Wilson was was co-writer. For this particular movie. Wow. Um, See, that's the fascinating thing over time. I'm sorry. Of just, you know these people as the product they've been sold to you as. And so you mm-hmm. think of them as just sort of an empty celebrity being used to sell things. Yeah. And then you get these peaks at who they are as human beings because they are human beings. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice to find out that they are just creative driven people. Well, yeah. You know, uh, mm-hmm. anyways. Well, this is, uh, the way it, it, this is almost kind of like a passion pro- pro- project of theirs because the main character, uh, Max uh, Fisher, he's, he's kind of like a, a surrogate character for both Wes Anderson and for Owen Wilson because uh, he kind of does things that they did in, in high school. Uh, he is expelled from Rushmore Academy, which I think uh, Owen Wilson was expelled from one of his, high schools mm-hmm. but uh, like when when i watched this film it the the thing that stuck out to me most is this is it, it's basically van wilder if the van wilder of this movie was not uh suave or or, or popular uh he has this thing where he's in every extracurricular activity and he's trying to excel so much in those failing at school uh, and so you kind of get this whole idea of uh, of trying so hard to to, to succeed that that you drown in failure. But uh, what, what uh, the thing that kind of surprised me most about this was the 
cast that I was in. Like in a Wes Anderson movie, you kind of expect to see faces like like Bill Murray, like uh, Luke or or Owen Wilson. They're kind of regulars, but then you have Jason Schwartzman who who plays Max Max, uh, Max Fisher, who also did uh, the the role that me and you both know him from is uh, is ex boyfriend number, number seven Scott Pilgrim, right? Um, Jason Schwartzman, I think, got famous off of Wes Anderson movies. I think. I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, then you have Brian Cox, who plays William Stryker in, in X2, who, who plays the dean of, of the Also the, the original Hannibal Lecter and mm-hmm. a better Hannibal Lecter than some of the entries by Anthony Hopkins. But uh, the, the, whole, the whole story kind of re- revolves around uh, Max Fletcher uh, kind of falling for this uh, kind of grade school teacher who, who just started out at Rushmore Academy and his constant attempts to try and woo her into a relationship. Well, let me redirect you at this point. Just what did you like about it? And what did you not like about it? You, you have his, his witty writing. The, the dialogue is, is, is in, in, in a way that you would expect a Wes Anderson movie to be. You have the openings in chapters and by, by months of, 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 of the year, instead of like parts one and two or, some or, or or something like that, but it, it it doesn't have that visual flair that Wes Anderson is is uh, known for, and okay. so that. And so like his writing is there, but maybe his direction is not there. His the cinematography is not there, like the oh so like the, the camera is where it's supposed to be, it just what's in front of the camera doesn't look the same. It looks more traditional, like like visually. Like people not center framed and like the frame not balanced. Now there are shots like that in there, but they're they're far more sparse, and it looks more and much more like a traditional movie that that was written and and directed by Wes Anderson. So you so I'm I'm kind of like torn between two two minds because I, I like seeing something new from Wes Anderson, but I also really like what Wes Anderson does with his films that makes him distinct. Well, is it odd for you seeing that? knowing that this was his second movie and that after doing that, he just gravitated more and more in, in, into what he wanted to do and then just keeps doing that. Like the narrative shows this variation and then gradually becomes repetitive. The, the impression that, that this movie gives me is, is, is that Wes Anderson got more and more comfortable in his own style as time went on, kind of culminating in, in the French Dispatch. Do so you feel like it's a comfort thing, not a situation where he's just like, "I only want to do this." Uh, I I think so, because again, the 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 writing is still there, the acting and 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 the way that people are are directed to move around the stage is still there. And and part part of why I say like this is kind of a proto Van Wilder, is uh, uh at at Rushmore Academy. You have uh, the the upperclassmen students have these kind of like like little brothers that they have 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 to look after, and his is kind of like taking down notes as he's getting ideas, and it makes me think of uh, Taj, where Van Wilder is, is, is saying write I'm, I'm gonna write that down, and he just like writes like that visually comes to mind. That's interesting. This did come out before Van Wilder, uh-huh. by only like a few years. Yeah, just this is a just enough for someone to maybe like it, mm-hmm. work for National Lampoon, and write a script a little bit after seeing it that then would have had to go into production and then come out just two or three years later. Yeah. So, what would make you want to watch it again? Uh, 
I, I, I love the tone of it. It has the kind of like laid back Wes Anderson tone that like he's known, like even when, 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 when he's writing a stressful scene, like in, um, in uh, the Grand Budapest uh, um, Hotel, there, 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 there's, there's always this like glaze of uh, fantasy over anything that, 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 that he's doing that is just kind of relaxing to me. And that's in spades throughout this entire film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I, I like the relationship between Bill, Bill Murray and uh, Jason Schwartzman. They're kind of like, they, they are exactly the same person at very different points in their life where uh, Max Fisher is kind of like this optimistic go-getter where Bill Murray's kind of lived the, I have the business and I'm a, mil- and I'm a millionaire life, but he's melancholic and pessimistic about everything. Oh, nice. Oh, I would love that, of course. See, that's the thing. Bill Murray and, and Wes Anderson, I think the reason they pair so well is because of dry humor. Blunt, deadpan, dry humor. And that's that wit that comes out. That's that smarminess. And, you know, like being able to balance, like being comfortable in that environment instead of feeling like someone's being so sarcastic, you want to slap them in the face, takes a lot of talent. And I think that both of them have that. Yeah. Cool. Right, well, so, so then uh, you, I want to derail the thing and start talking about about raw. raw, the 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 body horror equivalent of Enmai Shyamalan's Unbreakable. Let's get to it. What 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 made you want to watch Raw to begin with? All right, so it, there's been buzz around Raw forever, and I'm a huge horror fan. And basically, that's it. It's been on my to watch list ever since the movie came out. And it was just accessible. So as soon as I saw it and I knew it was coming, it was like high on my list of ones I was going to get to. And I wanted to go into it knowing as little as possible. And I'm so glad that I did. And I'm going to spoil that for you. And I'm sorry, but I'm curious when you watch it, Uh if knowing what's going to happen is going to change your take on it for the first time. So okay. if you don't mind, I am going to go into a little bit of detail. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I don't care as much about spoilers. So it, okay. it's, that's fine with me. Well, but I mean, it does fundamentally change the ride. That's fine. So, okay. So Unbreakable. Mm-hmm. Take a superhero story and basically take like Spider-Man, right? I know I just said Unbreakable. Now I'm jumping over to Spider-Man, but it'll lead back. They're breadcrumbs. Okay. We're going to go home. So Spider-Man. Uh-huh. If it ended after Spider-Man killed the guy who shot Uncle Ben and he realized that it was the guy who shot that he let go, Uh that's unbreakable, right? If that was the dramatic twist of the ending of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's an apt comparison. It's the end of the first act. He's just now learning what great power becomes great responsibility, what that means, and that's the end of the movie. All right? Uh Mm-hmm. Raw. Think of any. What's the first body horror movie that comes to mind? Try and skew away from Cronenberg because it might mislead. <laughs> uh, body horror. Um, Although you I, could do actually, let's say Scanners, right? Let's take Scanners right from the moment that the lead character realizes what he can do. Mm-hmm. And what it means. As soon as the character explains him, you know, the when he's in a warehouse and people come to attack him and it's the first time that he uses his powers. Yeah. Okay. If the movie ended there. Where it's, it's, it's ambiguous whether he's going to abuse the power or not. You don't know what he's going to do with it. 
Yeah. That's a very good point of what I'm saying. So raw okay. is the story of, like I said, a girl who is going off to a college that her sister already attends. Mm-hmm. And she has her first taste of raw meat because as a hazing ritual, it's a veterinary college. Uh, the upperclassmen force the freshmen to eat raw meat. It is the first time she's ever had. And all of a sudden she has terrible pains. She can't eat enough. She starts to get a rash and she goes to the doctor and he says the rash might've been the result of food poisoning from the thing that they fed you. It might've been irresponsible adults. It'll go away soon. The rash does go away soon. The itching goes away soon, but she's, you know, just trying to, to, to learn what she's going to be as a young adult on her own, independent with her sister. Her sister's guiding her in these wild, over-the-top, insane ways. Like, hey, pee off this roof with me. Let's bond over that. Here, I'm going to wax, give you a bikini wax, uh, like homemade. We're not going to go to a professional place, right? Okay. So she gets down there, and the wax gets stuck, and you're getting way too personal with this thing. And there's a whole lot to this movie about, like, budding, like, sexuality and freedom with it. And it's French, so they are very, you know... I feel like I get tired of saying this over and over again because I really just wish this was more normalized anyways is exploring sexuality without it having to be all about like lust. Uh Um, But anyways, they're doing this thing and it's just sort of this thing where she's bonding with her sister and the girl tries to cut her hair to get the wax off. She screwed up and accidentally her sister cuts her finger off Mm. and sees the blood pouring out and her sister faints. So the girl's like, oh my gosh, freaks out and picks up the finger and sits down and is trying to call the police and figure out what to do. And blood starts to drip out of the finger and instinctually she catches the blood and slurps it off her palm. Like if you were holding food and a piece of the food fell off and you just slurped it up. And she pauses and she freaks out and she starts to gnaw at the finger and suck at the finger. Oh God. And then her sister wakes up. Okay. So she's freaking out. They go to the hospital. Uh, They can't put the finger back on for reasons. Mm -hmm. And then the sister is like, hey, you, the next time, finally, when they leave and she's got her finger or whatever, come with me. We're going to go to the side of the road. Why are we going to go to the side of the road? Then the sister runs out in the middle of the road and causes a car to crash. And then the sister takes one of the guys in the crash that isn't going to die and starts to eat at his head and says, I'm doing this for you. You got to join me. This is a thing. This is a thing in our family. They're like, what? She didn't even say it's a thing in her family. She starts eating, okay? And I I know this is the whole movie, but I swear, like, the reason that I'm explaining this is is because of of the perfect judgment of really what is the story. So this guy that over a couple of scenes, you know, this girl's been getting a crush on, has, has, you know, a relationship. And I won't go into too much detail on that because you'll be able to tell what happens for yourself. Wakes up. The sister has done something horrible. And so you realize you realize that things are starting to get out of control. Her and the sister are both cannibals. So finally, when they, she realizes that she needs answers as to what's happening and direction, just like in any horror movie, what do you do when there's some sort of curse on you or whatever? There's an exposition scene, right? Yeah, there's usually a scene that tells you where to go to lift the curse or something. Or so you find out what it is. You don't yeah. have an answer. You find out what it is. So she goes to her father. Her father gives her a brief speech about what it's been like to live with her mother, opens his shirt, reveals the gouges of flesh that have gradually been eaten off of him and healed over the years as he's been a partner with their mother. 
Mm. Credits. That's how it ends. That's how it ends. Oh, God. All it is, is at its core, is a woman discovering her adulthood. That's it. So the story is discovering it. So once you've discover it, discovered it, instead of tacking on a then, what do we do? Some kind of dramatic, do I kill my sister? Do I kill myself to save other people? What happens now? Where does the story turn? The story is over because she has discovered who she is as an adult. Wow. And it's over. And that is absolutely genius to me. So, and that's the thing is I, I have so many people who rag in, on French film in my life and just, they just, they have, it's, it's like, I feel like more and more it's core to, they have an idea. It's a concept and it's a story and it's not an event. It's just an idea. And whatever right. serves that idea, once that idea is defined and completed and it makes sense, you're done telling your story. You're done explaining. You know, if you think about like Breathless, yeah. Jean-Luc Godard, yeah. like that whole thing is an exercise in being able to tell a story on a budget. But essentially what it comes down to is, is this romance going to work out between them or not? And the story's over once we answer that question. Yeah. Okay. And it just, it, I'm not saying it's universally applied or anything like that. I'm just saying it it just seems to be consistently effective in that way. And I really like that. I really like that there doesn't have to be a traditional waste of added structure. I mean, so many people complain that this, they get burned out by origin stories of superheroes because there's always some original concept, like an, a unique superpower, a unique mm-hmm. reason to why that person has that superpower. Like the Hulk, Gamma Ray, Spider-Man, Spider-Bite. Captain America, super soldier serum. Iron Man builds his own suit. But every single one of them then has to fight a villain to an explosion the end. Uh-huh. What if the story was just how did they become a superhero the end? Be different. If Iron Man ended with the tank scene where he blows it up and you don't have to deal with the pepper get off the roof and all that kind of stuff like that. Yeah. I'm not saying that that should happen because I love Iron Man, but I'm saying if that shot, if you padded a little bit more of the process of becoming Iron Man and the trials of becoming Iron Man, Pepper finding out early, and it all leads up to him going out to Golmira, Uh and the last shot of the movie was him blowing up that tank, credits, Uh that would be the equivalent of this movie. Okay. I need this in my life. I need this kind of storytelling. I think uh, it is. And uh, that's uh, what would make me go back to it again is the writing. Okay. Um, I guess it's my turn now with this. Uh, I believe horror. it is time for us to enter the gauntlet for X, the new movie just released, directed by Ty West. I am so excited for this movie. I'm hoping to see it tomorrow. Oh, man. Oh man, good luck. Curtis for X. Is the movie good or bad? Well, as we all know, X is a 
horror film and depending on how you view horror and what you look for in a horror movie will heavily depend on whether or not you like or dislike this particular film. Okay. I can nitpick that one, but I'm not gonna. What was your favorite scene? Don't just take the buzz. I know that I've heard rumors that there are some pretty iconic kills. I don't think I can pick one out. Why not? I can't because there, there are, there's just a, a plethora of scenes, and at, at, at least for me, that kind of lead up to the same notion that I think the film is trying to get across. I think you might have accidentally passed that one because you were going pretty quick over the words, but you managed to rein back in that there was a point you believe the movie was trying to get across and individual scenes in themselves don't entirely cover that concept. It requires more than one. It's something along those lines. Yeah. I'm trying to decide whether someone else can make the argument for you. I haven't seen X, so I can't say. You might get a retroactive point if I've seen the movie. Let's 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 just call it a, a point five for the time being. How about that? Okay. If someone could be like, "Yo, this one gets the whole point across," you know, like <laughs> I don't know, but yeah. Also, I know there's some people that just be like, the point of it was to be a generic slasher, so any kill scene gets the whole point across. So uh, I could heavily disagree with that, though. So subjective, though. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying you can't be subjective. I know. What would you remove from the movie? There is this little tidbit at the end that uh, I'm trying to think of how, how to word this that just kind of comes up and doesn't change the film overall. All right, so I've already got the point. Uh, the there is having a, any scene cut out might change the mood, the flow, the pacing, anything right, like well, that subjectively. So okay, so uh, this is like a kind of a spoiler, but it happens at the very end of of, of the movie, and it, it doesn't affect the film from that point at all. At, at least it didn't for me. Uh, what it what what's it, it is re, it's there is this preacher on TV that is shown throughout the entirety of, 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 of the movie that's going on about how society is being corrupt by sex and, uh, it, and, and, yeah. uh, fortification because this takes place in, in the late seventies and it, it, it's the fornication. Like, yeah. Sex and, and fornication. Huh? And it's, so it, because, you know, it, it takes place at, at the rise of, of like, uh, what the, what the golden age of porn. Yeah. Sexual awakening. Of, yeah. Yeah. And at the very end of the movie, it is revealed that the final girl is the daughter of the preacher on TV. And when I saw it, I was just like, ah, that's kind of neat. But all it does is, is, is it shows that, that there's a dichotomy between how she's raised and where her morals come from as far as the sex stuff goes and not about. Right. I haven't I haven't even seen it, but I can already tell you. You're saying you would remove that from the movie because you thought it doesn't affect anything. Wouldn't it make every single action she takes across the movie 
colored differently as an act in spite of the beliefs of the home she comes from? No. I got to see this movie. Who's the best actor? Who's the worst actor? Um, the old man on the farm had me completely fooled for about half of the film. Okay. And uh, the blonde actor in the porn film had me, well, this is going to be subjective, damn it. And she, she had me irritated throughout the majority of the film. So what about her had you irritated? Uh, it, it was her personality personally for me, but you know, that was like yeah. the, so, so I'm going to buzz you there because if you were to say that, like, um, when she spoke, uh, it was oftentimes a line that was, I'm trying to think of like a Friday the 13th sequel, mm-hmm. you know, there are characters that intentionally say remarks that are, that telegraph what's going to happen in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, Crispin Glover saying, hey, so-and-so, where's the corkscrew? And he gets stabbed by the corkscrew, yeah. By the corkscrew, right? So Mm -hmm. there's an objective detail there that what he says is foreshadowed, right? Yeah. So if you didn't like not being surprised because you could tell it was going to happen, maybe someone out there might be upset. But you personally, if you were to say this character telegraphed what was going to happen in the movie and that cause you to feel irritated that'd be an objective detail that gave you a reaction like she like throughout the entirety of of this movie she like like her and the main actress uh like 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 the, the final girl but I, I got it more from her she had like this holier than thou art uh stance because of of, of the work she did and uh, it just it for something something about her rubbed me the wrong way i can't kind of put my finger on it right now mm-hmm. but yeah so, give your favorite quote from the movie. My favorite? Hmm, I can't, I'm not going to say that. Because there is a quote. That is your favorite? The way that I, I understand this line, there is this specific, special, uh, unknown it factor in, in a person that pops up every now and then. Like, like, she has that X factor. She has that thing about her that makes her different from everyone else. And it, it's, it's, it pops up throughout the film coming from different characters. What is the movie missing? Hmm. I would have enjoyed a little bit more uh, foreshadowing of where the girl came from to kind of like give a little bit more of a of an emotional oomph. I think that's effective though. On 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 who her father is that could have like led up to that. I mean I, I guess you you could argue that there are some lines in, in there that kind of lead lead to it, but those lines are also parroted by other characters throughout the movie. So it's not specifically from her. It, it could it could apply to anyone. Gotcha. So so what did you enjoy from this story? Just this as a story being told to you, regardless of the medium. 
there is this notion of uh, of the elderly envying the 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 young. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I I, I I mean I I can go into that more once once I'm out of this, but like that, that's like okay. that, that was a big a big draw. Of, what did of you learn? Brain. Did you learn anything about making movies from watching this? Um. Not really. I, I can't think of anything that that I learned from this particular one. That is crushing to hear. I'll have to explain that later. But in short, Ty West is the guy who made House of the Devil. A dude who perfectly basically tricked people into thinking there was a movie from the 70s made in 2009. Well, that explains a lot. Yeah. Um, no, no, like, 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 like visually. But that also explains why I'm also. Well, not- I'm just saying, like, if, if it, if by watching this, one wouldn't be able to well i guess nothing by the way is subjective but you're not the first person that i've heard say that they're this thing just feels like a classic one of those and they're not getting it and i'm trying to decide i i'll have to decide for myself whether that's a genius thing in terms of what i say about stanley kubrick and that the guy does such a good job that what he should be credited for is invisible Hmm. or if it's a case where he just didn't manage to pull off, like he managed to pull off uh, costume design and set design, but there's just some it factor that's not there, that's there for House of the Devil, where you're able to be like struck by how this feels like someone following the film language of the time, the pacing of the type of movies, the characters, like, anyways. Um well, I mean that is there, but again, it's it's something that I've seen before and by the same director. So I, I can't say it's something new. I didn't say new. I said, did you learn anything about making movies? Oh, well, I guess that then. I don't know. So, yeah. Okay. What would make you watch this again? I would watch this again because of the overall tone it it it, it, it for, for me it, it gives off this this vibe of something that i would see from like say uh texas chainsaw massacre was, was was something that popped into my mind during the action while i was watching it uh and so like like with like with the color timing it feels like a movie that would have been made in like 1979 because you have a lot of those you, you have a snap zoom, well, not a snap zoom, but but you have like like a, a a zoom in and zoom out and use forward forward for dramatic effect. It yeah. feels like the director understands how films were made in that time frame. The way that the film is colored feels like it was colored in the seventies. So like that kind of like overall visual tone is something that I would go back for. That's good to hear. All right, and you know the ultimate question is: Would would Nick Cage improve this movie or be a detriment? Uh, there are several roles in this movie where I can see Nick Cage just kind of squeezing in and Dude, made... yeah a golden age of porn horror movie with Nick Cage in it like please mm-hmm. uh, uh, there are but anyways that's a yeah, yeah well, so yeah there, there are three specific roles that I can see Nick Cage being in this movie I can see him being the the, the old man who runs the farm who is envious of, of the young for, for driving his uh, el- for 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 like driving his elderly wife in, in into wanting into wanting having more sex i can see him as the porn director and i can and see the him porn as star 
I could see it as the porn. Like, okay, so that's four roles: the the, the porn director, the porn star, and the executive per, per, and, and the executive per producer of the uh, film, which I think fit Nick Nick Cage the best. Mm. But uh, yeah, so you're free. So tell me, really, what did you like and dislike about the movie? Uh, well, that's what I said earlier about what 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 was it about the the elderly and in, in, in envying the, the young that's what this movie is like it's a slow build up but once you get on the farm and and you understand who the wife is and how she used to be like this hot young thing who who would also uh, the way that it's it, it's it's implied she uh, had a lot of sex and she wishes she had that vigor again she wishes she had that x factor that the lead girl has she feels like and, and she feels that 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 she's lost it so the killing spree comes from her wanting something from the from the final girl. We I don't know what it is. It's just like this vague X factor thing that apparently everyone sees that she has, like and, a demon kind of thing, but not with all the trippiness. Yeah, and when you talk, I'm thinking particularly of the Harbinger of Doom from Cabin in the Woods. How he he calls one of them the whore because that's the archetype. Except and he's everyone's like, the whore. You young kids, you don't understand. Yeah. Spits tobacco, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Except everyone's the whore, including the, the, the old man and wife. Nice. Uh, Does this fall victim to the cabin in the woods test? Um, I, I, I don't know if I can answer that specifically. There were a couple of lines that felt like they were a wink and a nod to like the horror genre and in, in general, like once they get to the farm and they're about to start filming, uh, yeah, the the busty blonde chick like pop up. The camera's at a lower angle. She's over the couch. And I think her, her line is, okay, it's time to give them what they want. And, and, and they're filming the sex scene. Hmm. So it's kind of like that. Tongue in cheek. Tongue in cheek, yeah. But you see, that's still kind of that's still kind of sharper writing than than yeah. Like with Cabin in the Woods, what I'm kind of saying is like they kind of expose this whole like the idea of you take teens, you make them make dumb decisions, you make them suffer because of their quote unquote sins and all this kind of stuff. You know, uh-huh. it's that it's that you find the bare bones of every horror movie that had been made in the last couple of decades, uh-huh. and it could fit all of them even with wings to like Japanese or whatever, and all the monsters are there and all this kind of stuff. And so after that, if you're going to do another movie, that's just teens being picked off by something or someone, uh-huh. you can't just write one of those and just have it be beat for beat. Like, and then person gets killed and then person gets killed. You have to be careful about your writing. Otherwise you're just a movie. The cabin in the woods already exposed. And there's no reason to watch that instead of just watching cabin in the woods. Right. You know, so they, for example, the Evil Dead remake Mm -hmm. is essentially Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. But the level of care to gore and detail and having the characters be well written into the situation that they're in elevates it a little beyond what's going on. Okay. So, you know, they didn't just all go to a cabin in the woods to hang out for the weekend. They went there to isolate someone to make a cold turkey off of drugs. You have to put that level of thought behind it because if you just have everyone go absently party at a cabin in the woods, your movie just seems dumb now because cabin in the woods has pointed this stuff out. That's at least that's a subjective thing for me, okay. but I know there are people who think that way. Right. So 
when it comes to something like this, when it comes to referencing the slashers and living back in that world, I'm glad that we're pushing 70s or 60s instead of 80s. Yeah. Um, like I just I don't want it to fall victim to isn't it neat that we're able to do this and then not care beyond that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the way this, this movie opens, I, I think is what caught my in- interest the most. Cause it, it and I, I think that's what drew me to the Texas chain chainsaw massacre thing. It, it, it opens with a panning forward shot from in- inside the barn onto the uh, murder house. As the police are roaming around, uh, you have an officer say, Hey, you, you uh, might want to come down in this basement and check things out. Got that remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre vibe. Yeah, yeah, with the color I'm timing so, of the original so Texas, excited. with the color timing of the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which was like was what like kind of threw me for a loop. Uh, I, I I thought it was enjoyable that the uh, that 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 the killers were elderly, were like 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 old people. I don't think I've ever seen that in 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 a horror movie before. The thing that like kind of disgusted me the most about this movie is there is a scene inside the cabin when the, when there's just one girl left and she has well there well sorry there are, there are, there are two girls left one's locked in the cellar one is trapped in, in in inside the house and the way that the girl escapes from inside the cabin is that the elderly couple start having sex while she's hiding under the bed that they're kind of fucking on sounds fun mm-hmm. but uh I I enjoy the movie. I, I I'm 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 a Would fan. Would you of watch it again? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna try to see it. I'm Eric. Thank you all for listening. Uh, this is this film not rated. Again, we are a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network. You can find me at High Contrast FLM, and you can find links to all my other social media on that Twitter page. And I am Curtis. You can find me on Twitter at 90sGamer407, also on Twitch at Merrick underscore Tainment. And I have just recently started a Twitch account, which you heard about from the beginning, so I'm not going to bother repeating that. Run, 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 run.